Spread the fire. Welcome back to SMWX. Uh, I know I've been away for a minute, um, but I'm really excited today to bring you activist extraordinaire, uh, Zuleika Patel. Zuleika, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's really great to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, this is the, the battle of the Afros. As you can see, I'm growing mine out, but it, it seems like it still hasn't reached your level. So I'm just like trying to aspire to get to your level of, of fro. Um, how do you think I'm doing? I have braids now, so it's still <laughs> going to grow. So good luck with that battle. <laughs> um, Zuleika, you are in matric this year. Um, yes, and it's yes. incredible to think uh, when you burst onto the scene um, about four years ago that you know you are already now matriculating. How's how's matric treating you? Um. Yeah. No. I think anyone <laughs> that's anyone that's a student or pupil during a global pandemic, mm. it just feels like you're in the middle of the Afrikaans part of the anthem. <laughs> That's how it just feels. Wow. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So uh I guess I guess uh Afrikaans is not your, your favorite subject or even your elective at this point. I I take it. It's not. To be honest, I actually wanted to drop the subject in when I was in grade nine, right? I went to um, the head of academics and I said, look, I'm never going to catch on. I will never. Mm. It's no point in having hope in me. And I want to drop and take Sibedi. And then, because they offered Sibedi, right? And she said to me, she's like, no, but Zuleika, you speak Isindebele at home. How are you going to understand Afrikaans? And I'm like, and you expect me to understand understand because I speak Isindebele, you think it's anywhere near Afrikaans. It's not. Mm. And then literally she's like, well, you're not going to get a job if you don't speak Afrikaans. Oh my goodness. And that for me just really exposed the reality of white privilege and in our country, mm. African privilege. Mm, mm, absolutely. You know, prior to the, the lockdown, there was this great sense of urgency building around schools and especially schools that you know are kind of seen as elite schools and it feels like students in those spaces inspired in many ways by your actions in 2016 and beyond were really throwing down the gauntlet to these institutions and and pushing for change over a wide range of issues how do you see uh, elite schools in south africa at the moment and what kind of changes do you think are still necessary uh, given that that's been an issue that's been so close to your own activism? So I don't believe in, in reform. The only thing reform does is it rebrands and repackages any system of oppression. I believe in abolition, abolition of anti-Black policies. These schools with your elite schools are all, they're all your former white-only schools. And all of those schools were built were built on the basis of anti-blackness. That foundation of apartheid is still, it's still breathing and it's thriving in those schools. And one thing um, that I think that needs to be done urgently is to um, abolish all of the anti-black policies. It's not just your hair policies. I mean, it's even 
simple things like in your code of conduct. For example, with us, the school is situated in Twani, in the center of Pretoria. And what would happen what is, is that in the mornings, you'd see a long line of particularly black girls who are late, black girls from your surrounding townships, Mamiloidi, Soshangove, Atridgeville. Mm. And they would be reprimanded in a manner which is very, 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 very derogatory. Mm. I, I've never particularly been through this because I, I live in Spani myself. So witnessing that, you'd get the, the, the way they'd be reprimanded in is if you cannot follow this policy, then you must return to the township. Simple mm. things like that are anti-Black mm. because they don't take into account the fact that we live in the construct of apartheid, that, that your special divides in this country are still real. They're real and they're alive. And so I think that it's urgent. It's so urgent that we have to abolish all the anti-Black policies in these schools because that's what those schools were built on. Simple, even their uniform, the way some mm. the designs of the uniform German girls, the hats. If you have an Afro, you cannot. There's no possible way you can wear that hat. It's not possible. <laughs> and simple I things. I think we would both be struggling so with that shows, hat. It just shows that if the most fundamental part of society being basic education remains heavily colonized and attached to the legacy of colonialism, we're going nowhere as Africa. Instead, we're incarcerating the minds of children. Yeah, I was just thinking we would both be struggling with with those hats. Uh, at the school I went to, uh, St. John's, there was also one of those strange hats. Um, and, you know, this question, just like the question of hair, the question of uniform first, first seems like it isn't connected to a struggle like this, but what you wear and the way you represent yourself is so key to your own identity that... I think this uniform question is is key. Like, I, I can't for the life of me imagine how at the school I went to, there was a whole khaki uniform, right? So we accommodated people um, who sing the Afrikaans part of the anthem, right? We gave them a whole uniform. And by the way, like when I wore that khaki uniform, I just blended into the background. Like you didn't know what was going on because it was like, are you wearing uniform? What's going on here? But we don't we don't have... We don't have anything symbolizing African culture or at least uh, Kosa culture in the Eastern Cape with uniforms. So why is it that we can accommodate people with khaki uniforms, but we can't have uniforms that reflect uh, the full beauty of all of our country? You know, for me, these schools are operating for the people they were built for. When these schools were built, they were built for white children. Hence, all their policies are for white children and they operate, they operate in a manner where they'll thrive for the people it was built for. So it's, I'm not surprised at all that um, we have to question uniform as well. Un the uniforms they, they designed were to also, um, to also accommodate their own culture. For us, um, so the girls' school is, it mm. was built by an English woman, right? And everything about the uniform represents your typical British woman. I, for example, in grade nine, I got into trouble. I got into a lot of trouble where I was sent home. I was sent home wearing a lab coat because I was told that my skirt is above my knees. And I responded in saying that this isn't DSG, which is the private school across the road, which is a Christian private school. And I said to her, 
I don't think my skirt is too short. And she said, a typical lady does not dress like that. And a lady always ensures that her pantyhose aren't, aren't, um, don't have a ladder. You know, when thin synthetic fiber stockings mm. tear, it's a ladder. A lady always ensures that her stockings don't have, don't have a ladder. And I was like, what type of mm. lady are you talking about? What type of lady? Because in African culture, girls are girls are expected to embrace their bodies and not feel any shame and cover up like that. And she's like, well, I'm speaking about a lady of British origin. And then I told her, I was like, well, I'm not of British origin and I'm never mm. going to fit in. And she sent me home. Wow. Wow. It's, it's incredible. And, and I, I feel like these stories are happening and have been happening all over the country. And slowly but surely... For decades. Absolutely. And it's the students, funnily enough, I, the staff body, I just give up with them. But, and the parents sometimes, you know, show. No, definitely. It's, it's mm. the, the, um, cause I don't know if you guys had this in St. John's, but we have something called the parents association and mm. now the parents association deliberately, deliberately, it was, it was set up for white parents because their meetings would be in the middle of the week at an awkward mm. time as a black parent who is not the employer, who is the employee, you cannot just leave work and just randomly leave work for a meeting. You can't do that. So they would deliberately set up their meetings in the middle of the week at an awkward time, not after Mm. 4.30 or 5. It would be during the day in an awkward time so that it was deliberate that there was only white parents in those meetings. And Mm. that association would influence the SGP in terms of if they wanted to increase the school school fees or they wanted to change something or they felt that a certain policy needs to be changed or um, there needs to be new rules added. And so mm. it was very deliberate that they only wanted white parents in those associations. Absolutely. Uh, and let's not even get on to, to the, the, the teachers, because I, I recall, you may recall as well, there was, there was this uh, racist incident uh, at St. John's about three or four years ago, and a teacher eventually, after a lot of pressure, had to resign. Uh, and we were, as alumni, Black alumni, really putting pressure on the school to take it seriously. And the school then convened this big uh, community meeting right? Firstly, the community meeting excluded cleaners, general people from around the community. The school's quite close to the the center of of Johannesburg. So the definition of community was interesting. But then at at this meeting, bear in mind, the racism was directed at the black students. The white, white teachers got up, and I recall one so vividly saying, I now feel scared that people are going to accuse me of being a racist. And it's like, guilty conscience much? Like nobody said anything. Why are you now scared if you haven't done anything? Um, so the, the staff and the teachers are also just a main block of progress in these mm. schools, I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So let's, let's think a bit wider than schools, because of course, schools are a crucial part of our society, but you've also been vocal and thought about other parts of of our country and its problems. And I suppose they're linked to what happens at school. Uh, you are re- referencing questions of gender and some of the burdens that are placed on women in our society. And it just seems like we have catastrophically failed to confront questions, whether they are about 
sexual violence, whether they're about domestic violence, whether we're just talking about patriarchy and uh, employment opportunities and inequality in day-to-day life. We're failing spectacularly, aren't we, um, to deal with this question yes. of, of gender justice? No, definitely we are. And it's and when I'm not surprised at all because I've always linked, I've always linked it to the mid-90s when they supposedly were redesigning the country. And women were excluded in those negotiations. In the negotiations, they excluded women. Women were not a part of their negotiations. And women, mm-hmm. black women, make up majority of the population. And how do you exclude? You want to redesign a new country, but you exclude the majority of its people from from the process of designing it and you sit with the most privileged person in society at the top of all social hierarchy being the white man because we all know the social hierarchy is the white man followed by the white woman then the white child then the black man then the black woman at the bottom and so i wasn't i i've always linked these issues to that it's of Mm. no surprise because they excluded women that's why the coat of arms as well the coat of arms represents men only the two Mm. figures in the coat of arms are two men Mm. and so i've 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 always linked it to that because the faces of those negotiations were the african national congress leaders at the time nelson Mm. mandela um the ravonia trialist cyril ramaphosa himself absolutely absolutely and it it also feels as though protest has certain limits with this government because it knows exactly how to deflect and make everyone feel like something is going to happen and then nothing happens. And so I guess we're at a place where it's trying to think through what are the actual appropriate methods um, to, to confront this, the scourge. What are your thoughts on, on that? Firstly, to confront the scourge of gender-based violence, there firstly, firstly needs to be accountability. You cannot move forward if there's no accountability. And in our country in particular, we are notorious for not holding people accountable. In the mid-90s, the National Party, it was not, they were not held accountable in any way. It was, we're going to now negotiate and move forward because we're a rainbow nation. The biggest facade and the biggest lie South Africans were ever told. And there needs to be accountability. There's a failure from government to hold men accountable and to say, this is an issue created by men. So men need to be at the forefront dismantling the monster of patriarchy, which they themselves have created and continue to thrive from every single day. You know, it's in the small things from a young age, the boy child is socialized and taught that he must feel a sense of entitlement towards a woman's body. And once he thinks and feels that sense of entitlement, he begins to think that he owns. And once you believe you own, it's easy for you to feel that you have the right to dispose. And so there needs to firstly be accountability Hmm. from men. Men are the problem. Men are the problem. It's not clothing. It's not women go out late at night. It's not she asked. It's men. And the next, um, the next um, factor of society that needs to be held accountable is government. Government needs to be held accountable. So Ramaphosa himself must be held accountable. Peggy Tyler himself must be held accountable. The blood of women is on their hands because they have failed women. Peggy Tyler teaches police to shoot to kill, but who, who must be shot and killed? Because if a child 
a child this week could be shot by a mm. policeman because the child was unable to respond. Why should any child have to respond to a police officer interrogating them, regardless of whether the child has Down syndrome or not? Why should a child have to respond to a police officer? So there needs to be accountability from the government. The government has immensely failed women in this country. They failed women in this country to a point where I feel that they should not even be talking about women in 1956 because what they're doing is essentially i want to say this as blunt as possible because this is how i feel they're literally urinating on those women's graves and legacy every time they mention them because they fail to protect women in the society today and so because what we see is that there's been more looting in this country than there's been than there's been funding funding the department of women there's been more looting than there's been funding the Department of Women. So government must be held accountable for its false promises. Last year in September, the president gave an address after the murder of Uyinene, and mm. he made promises of what was going to change. None of that, none of that was implemented. Absolutely nothing. In fact, it's gotten worse. It's gotten worse. It's gotten worse. And further, other than seeing accountability from men, and also the government, we don't address this enough. We don't. We don't address this enough. But we need to understand that our country already on its own is a violent country on its own. We come from plus 400 years of violence and brutality. There's absolutely no ways we're going to enter a society where it's kumbaya, we all friends and we all in this together, you know? Mm -hmm. There's no absolute way. We are living in such a destructive destructive time because we're living through this post-colonial post-apartheid stage whereby you haven't really seen the system fully being eradicated and abolished but however it's been rebranded repackaged and modified and privatized so we live in such a violent country because poverty is violence poverty is terrorism and the mass majority of people in this country are subjected to poverty and so poverty plays a large role because the financial dependence of women on men on men is um results in in women not being able to leave um situations of abuse you know and so we need to address the issue that poverty plays a very massive role and the history of this country the violence the history of violence in this country plays a massive role because there is a generation of men who are not raised by their mothers their mothers were raising other people's children who and obviously that's had a that's had an impact on their psyche and the violence from the mid 90s has an effect people are not happy with what they've seen take place in the country people are not happy at all they're not happy and also the legacy of colonialism had an impact on the identity of a black man when we say men are trash and we hold black men accountable for perpetuating misogynoir towards black women Black men didn't make themselves monsters. Colonialism did that to them. It rendered their identities to being, to being criminals. It told them that a black man is always guilty. A black man is intimidating. A black man is a criminal. Every time you see a black man, you must be intimidated. Colonialism had an impact on the psyche of black men. And also education. The education, I cannot stress this enough that education plays a massive role it plays a massive role in in the manner in how um 
men view women because education essentially is socialization it socializes people how to think how to respond and how to act in society and when edu when you have an education system which does not address the issues of gender in a country like ours where there is a genocide taking place against women that is a big problem you have an education system whereby the sex education is centered around men teaches you about men it teaches men to have entitlement towards women it teaches men it socializes them into believing that they own women and once you do that once you do that you are creating you are creating rapists and abusers because once they think they own they can they think that they can dispose and so there are four things that really need to be addressed for me and if we do not address those urgently we're not moving forward at all we're not the accountability from government and also just the fact that in government itself in the highest offices in this country sit perpetrators themselves so the first thing that Cyril must do himself if he wants to take action he mustn't come and apologize we've gone past the stage of apologies we've gone past that stage no apology is ever going to assist with anything he must remove the perpetrators that sit in his office we cannot even be asking for change from a government where there are perpetrators themselves the justice system it cannot be that every single day every hour women are dying at the hands of men we don't know the sex offenders and femicide perpetrators list must be made public it has to be the justice system is notorious for failing victims lockdown has sadly been longer than jail sentences of many rapists in this country who are repeat offenders rapists mm. get easily access bail if you are accused of rape or abuse or having killed a woman there should in no absolute way should you ever be offered bail absolutely until you are found guilty and until you are found guilty you should once you are found guilty you should not be offered parole because that's what happens they get offered parole then they go back and they kill more women and they murder more women and so it's the justice system it's the government it's the men and it's the history of this country that must be addressed because it's not being addressed enough and definitely the education system must change I think we should just end the the the, the conversation. Uh no, uh, that that's that's so powerful and so comprehensive and um it is it is just you know, I think one of the things you say that that really we haven't grappled with enough is the way that the unfinished business of the negotiation into this new apartheid um which is something i'm i'm writing about and and concur fully with you how that unfinished business comes back to haunt us more and more every year that we don't deal with it and so it's as if politicians and people in power want us to move forward and forget about all that unfinished business whereas it's becoming more and more relevant that it was unfinished uh, both in terms of questions of gender and race and economic inequality in our country Yes. There's no way you can forget if that's your everyday reality. There's absolutely no way. And one thing I must also mention that I don't think we speak enough about as much as we glorify same-sex schools and we're like they're going to raise and bring up the the one gender it caters to separately without influence of the other gender. I find that personally very problematic 
because in a country like ours, in a country like ours, you have to have the girl child and the boy child integrate so that they know and they understand because you have, for example, I've seen it happen where someone will go to a same-sex school for 12 years. Once they leave, they don't know how to respond and how to act around the other gender. Mm. They don't know. I've seen it happen with boys. I've seen it happen with girls as well. And one thing that these schools, I hold them accountable. I hold them accountable because boys' schools spoon feed toxic masculinity in every way possible. Girls' schools equally are accountable because they spoon and they they spoon feed and they teach and preach misogynoir. In an all-women environment, they hate women. They hate women. In a they teach you shame. It's always your fault. It's always your fault for being born a woman. It's your fault all the time. On a number of educa- on, on a number of occasions, I've had experiences and incidents where we've been told to make the minority gender on the property comfortable at the expense of our own our own comfortability. I must dress in a certain way. I must ensure that my bra strap doesn't show to ensure that the male teacher isn't looking at me. I must ensure that I sit with my legs one over the other to ensure that the male teacher isn't looking between my legs. And so definitely, and one thing that I, I think in our, in, our, in, our, in our revolution to decolonize Africa, we must understand that this whole entire concept of separating the two genders arrived with the missionaries. It arrived with the missionaries. And so if we are truly to decolonize them, Definitely. I think that we need to look into those schools because they are very problematic because that arrived with the missionaries, how the missionaries said they'd enforce patriarchy, patriarchy, which we don't never link that that thing works hand in hand with white supremacy because oppression is multidimensional. We never address the issue that that's how they try to enforce patriarchy. They said separate the two genders, teach boys handwork, hard labor. Teach them that. Teach girls your homework, cooking, cleaning, all of that. And so definitely I hold those schools accountable because I actually had an, an incident. I had an incident upon my arrival into the school in grade eight, in term one, two weeks mm. into it, when you're being taught all the ideals of the school. What happened was I had an incident where in, in the hall they were teaching us how to sit so mm. I wasn't sitting in the way they were teaching us how to sit. I was sitting with my legs stretched out like that. And then the headmistress came up to me and then she kicked my foot and she's like, sit like a lady. And I was like, what do you mean sit like a lady? I'm sitting like one. And then she says to me and she's like, that's not how a lady in this institution sits. And I'm like, what does a lady in this institution entail? What is that lady supposed to look like? And she's like, to me, you need to sit with your left leg over your right leg. It has to be your left leg. And I'm like, nowhere in Africa do they enforce this like that. And she's like, well, we work according to the British system and according to how Britain, and I'm like, but we're in Africa, we're in South Africa. We in Gauteng, we in Twane to be accurate. I, there's no ways I'm going, to, I'm going to subscribe to this Eurocentric, Eurocentric culture. Mm-hmm. And we've had so many incidents whereby they perpetuate misogyny and misogynoir. In these institutions, they hate black girls. They do everything in their power to make us feel like we don't belong here. 
we aren't supposed to be here. Even in them saying, you guys only made it here because of a quota. If it wasn't for a quota, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> and um, I remember I had another incident, had another one where um, it's in the slightest things and the manner in which and the tone in which they reprimand a white girl as opposed to how they reprimand a black girl. Mm. I was talking in a science class. Okay, I was wrong for speaking while she was teaching. I was speaking and I was speaking in vernac to make it worse. Mm. And the white girl in front of me was talking, but she was speaking louder than me. I was whispering. The teacher turns around and she's like, Ashley, please stop talking. This isn't a tea party. I can't teach whilst you're chirping. Very gentle way in reprimanding her. It's very delicate because she's delicate. When she turned around to reprimand me, firstly, she threw the duster. I ducked the duster. And then she <laughs> says to me, Zuleika, this is not your grandmother, Shibin. We do not act like we are brewing kombot. And mm. I was outraged because I was like, firstly, you cannot reduce me to that. You cannot say that. You cannot use that example because that's a microaggression. And you are essentially saying that every black woman belongs in a shipyard. She belongs brewing kombots. You cannot say that to me. And then because I wanted to be cocky and annoy her, I was like, and firstly, my grandmother does not own a shipyard. She owns a bakery. And so... And so I remember and I asked her, why did you reprimand me like that? You didn't reprimand Ashley like that. Why can't I also be told this isn't a tea party? Why can't I also be told I'm chirping? Mm. She was like, it's because you're tough. And she already perpetuates that toxic stereotype that black women are tough. But mm. Black women are strong. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. You know, um, Zuleika, I, I also wonder you know, now as you make the transition from what has been quite the journey in terms of your high school years, you know, into a new phase of your life. Um, how do you think about that new phase for you personally? Um, do you have any plans for your future? Are you still thinking about different scenarios? And um, what is it going to be like to leave school, a place where, you know, your identity was both disaffirmed through the culture, but also affirmed through your resistance to that culture? So I actually had an incident um, last year. I was on the Vitz property because there was an event and I was invited by the feminist community of Vitz to come to the event. And then I actually met one of the senior employees of Vitz and he walked up to me and he's like, Zuleika, you spread like wildfire. You spread like wildfire. You spread your radicalism like wildfire. You're such a problem. And he says to me, do you plan on coming to this institution? At the time I said, yes. And he's like to me, you're going to be a very big problem. You're going to be a very big problem in this institution. And honestly, um, so I've applied for um, political science, international relations and law particularly law, because I really, really, I want to, to be part of the changing of legislature and policy. And so I've, I applied for that and I've applied at a couple of institutions. I plan on, on staying in Gauteng. So it's either going to be UJ or Vids. So I do think about that and it doesn't bother me because for me, um, carrying the identity of decolonization isn't just something I speak on. 
it's something I live through every single day in every single space I exist in. I live drip decolonization. And so it's not something that bothers me because I know that I'm going to go into that institution with the values that I live by, with my usual way of life. And I'm going to go into that as Zuleika Patel. So I do think about it, but not in a way where it's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I think about it in a way whereby I'm excited for the, um, just the community of young conscious people because young people have so much power that community the discussions the resistance i'm excited for that well um i want to thank you for joining us on smwx and all i can say is i share equal excitement um, i think you know whether you decide to go into the legal realm and follow the tradition of many radical black women lawyers or apply your mind to questions of political science or both. Um, I suspect in contradistinction to what the Vitz person said that you are going to be a radical solution. So thank you, Yes. good luck. And uh, thank you so much for joining us on SMWX. It was a true pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I just love having conversations with you and it's a dream. I'd, it's a dream to, to, I'd love to co-author a book with you one day just by the way, putting it out there. You know what? I, uh, I think that would be a very, very good idea. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. You too, Zuleika. All right. Bye. I hear you.